The following podcast is an Embassy Row production. Welcome back to Shaken and Stirred. I'm Nigel Barker, your host. And while you may know me from shows like America's Next Top Model, The Face and Top Photographer, the fact of the matter is, I'm actually far more interested in mixing you a cocktail and finding out what makes you tick. My guest today is Will Blackman, former 12-year NFL defensive back, Super Bowl champion with the New York Giants, turned sommelier and entrepreneur, known now as the NFL wine guy, and the founder of the Wine MVP Wine Club, no less. We discuss his move from football to wine and how he created a business curating wine collections for some of the biggest names in sport. Oh, and my great friend and co-host Tom Astor is here tuning in from a stately manor outside of Oxford, England, where he asks Will Blackman the hard-hitting questions about wine. Is it any good? Welcome back to Shaken and Stirred. I'm Nigel Barker and I'm here with my co-host Tom Astor who is already boasting about the wine that he's drinking, which has some really kind of weird looking piece of cloth that looks like you've had a nosebleed on it. Tom, what on earth is that? What are you drinking? I'm drinking a bottle of Pichon, Baron Pichon Longueville 2005. And that weird bit of cloth is my muslin, obviously, to filter out the sediment. What, what? Oh, very nice, very nice. And I'm drinking... A bottle of Chablis Grand Cru, Le Clos, William Fair, 2017. Yes, I'm about six hours before you and it's sun is shining and I don't fancy a glass of red just yet. Cheers, my friend. Cheers, my friend. Listen, it's 10 o'clock at night here. I've moved on to the red. I started with the rose there, though. But here we are. Here's to the quarantine sessions that we are doing, um, which gives us the ability to be London, New York, and our guest today comes from LA. Um, but before we get there, booze news. Let's do a little bit of booze news. I'm, you know, talking about the COVID-19 situation. Um, Ashton Kushner and Mila Kunis have launched a quarantine Pinot Noir, no less, from Oregon, and are going to donate 100% of the proceeds to charities providing COVID-19 relief. So very timely, very cool. And they say they were inspired by these virtual cocktails. They've been doing virtual cocktails with all their friends and they were like, well, we, we should, you know, make our own wine. And they're selling it for 50 bucks for two bottles. Um, and like I said, 100% of the profits are going towards COVID-19 charities. So hat off to them and, you know, making lemonade out of lemons. I think it's brilliant. What about you, Tom? Anything over there in Blighty? Well, yes, lots, obviously. Low alcohol beverages, low alcohol, that's not no alcohol, low alcohol beverages will drive the 2020 market. Um, no, no beer sales have rocketed. And the Craft Beer Society um, is saying that basically low alcohol beer will be the main driver of um, the 2020 alcohol market. 23% of 18, 24 year olds are teetotal. We have not mentioned that on a podcast before. Crazy. They're still drinking, but they're just drinking lower alcohol content drinks. Yeah, well, it's all these spiked sodas and what have you, which are hugely uh, popular and actually quite delicious. I found myself drinking them as well. You know, just, they're kind of fun and easy and no-brainer and lazy. That's, that's yeah. the new generation out there. They need to mix their own cocktails. But that being said, like, like I'm doing it too. You open the fridge, pop one. Hey, you know, that's what's happening these days. Alrighty. We're very, very excited today. We've been talking about this for a while. But we have none other than former 12-year NFL defensive back, Super Bowl champion with the New York Giants, turned sommelier and entrepreneur, now known as the NFL wine guy. We need a drum roll here, I think, Tom. 
Will Backman, welcome to Shaken Instead. My man, thank you. I, I was uh, blown away when you, when you uh, contacted me and wanted to do this. I was honored. So thanks for having me. I'm excited, man. Oh, no, it's, it's, it's absolutely our pleasure. What are you drinking right now? Uh, right now, uh, I have a, a blend from Delecta. It's a, more so Syrah and a little bit of uh, Um It's, it's, re it's really cool. Uh, they're based out of Paso Robles here in, in, in uh, California. It's, so it's, it's cool. The cool thing about Paso, it has some Rhone varietals uh, type of wine there. So that's hence the Syrah. You might see some Grenache blends, Vigere. So it's, it's super cool. I love the fact that you, you know, you like, you go immediately, you're straight into the language. You're very, very comfortable <laughs> with all aspects of it. And, you know, it's, wine has its own language. I mean, it is almost like a sort of a love affair. When you listen to someone talk about wine, it doesn't really matter whether it's French wine, Italian wine, Spanish wine, New World wine. There is this sort of general romance just in the words, in the sounds of the words. And, you know, I think that it's, for me, I don't know, when I hear something like Delecta as well, that name, is it a take on delectable or because isn't that, doesn't that mean lovely or something like that? Isn't that what that was? Yeah. So uh, basically the, the, um, the maker, uh, Oren, his name is Oren Stang. His mother, I believe is an artist. And so I think he used some of her artwork to uh, put on the label. So that's kind of the, the story of, of what I know thus far. So that's, that's where it is. Fancy. Very yeah, sounds delectable cool. to me. So anyway, <laughs> cheers to that. Cheers, oh, my friend. No question. Cheers, yes. We're drinking a Chablis. And Tom, what are you drinking again? I'm drinking a Pichon Longer 2005. Very good. Uh, which is, yeah, it is delicious, actually. It's been sitting there staring at me for a long time. So, interesting, Nigel. You told me, so this, this is going to mess everything. You told me you're not a fan of Chardonnay, correct? No, I'm not, I'm not a fan of Chardonnay. And, of course, a Chablis is normally a Chardonnay grape, or is a Chardonnay grape, correct? Yes, yes, correct. So I, I did this in large part because you very kindly sent me a Chablis or sending me a Chablis. <laughs> and, and even though I told you I didn't like a Chardonnay grape. So I went and looked in my cellars and, and, I, and basically saw, okay, well, here's, I do actually have Chablis. Yes. Um, so I'm going to open it because clearly he knows something I don't. He's trying to tell me <laughs> that I like Chablis, that I do like a Chardonnay grape. And you're educating me. I read into what you're doing. <laughs> you did decide. Or you're an ass because you're sending me a wine I didn't want. So there's, there's two things. So I decided to think, okay, he must know what he's talking about. And okay. he's going to try and tell me, because of the way I described the wines I like, that I do, yes. in fact, love a Chardonnay great. Am I not right? It was totally a test. Absolutely. Because I was like that. I was not really a huge fan of Chardonnay. And I live in California, so I'm used to the, the oaky, the buttery type of Chardonnay. And that just wasn't my style. And then somebody introduced me to Chablis. And I was like, oh, this is made in stainless steel. You're not going to get the oaky, vanilla, buttery type of notes. You're going to get more like higher acid because it's a cooler climate. You're going to get more mineral, um, more like salty from the... Uh, the ocean, which is nearby. And when you describe the kind of notes you like in white wine, when you said I did not like Chardonnay, I was like, this is a test. <laughs> <laughs> I got your number. I got your number. <laughs> You're not going to get me on the first question and try and make me. <laughs> I can see what's happening. Break me down, build me up. But I, got I try to get him, Tom. Tom, I try to get him. Yeah, he's got a slippery fish. He's a difficult one to, to pin down and get properly. Okay, so I yeah. want to know, I want to know, when, how does a guy like you, Will, who's in the NFL, winning Super Bowls, at what point was it like, okay, I'm gonna do wine, but 
you know, you decide to be a sommelier, you decide to go the serious route. You're really, you're not sort of going, I'm going to be a celebrity wine guy, or I'm, I mean, you are a celebrity wine guy if you like, but, but not in the traditional sense where someone puts their name on a wine, endorses right. a wine, or, you know, sort of owns necessarily their wine. Maybe you're going to own your, your vineyard at some point, right. the end game, but what happened? What was that moment as far as like, no, no, I'm going to be serious. I'm going to learn. I'm going to become educated. Right. So, like with me, with American football, I was huge in terms of understanding the history of the game and respected everything about it, which made me fall in love with the game. And then for soccer, football, I, I learned to like it same way. Just I understood the history and got to know like the tactics and the details um, where I can, I can watch any game. And for wine, once I, once I started reading more about it, more about the regions, more about the history, and I also saw the documentary Psalm, which was on Netflix, uh, documented, uh, directed by a good friend of mine, Jason and Christina Weiss. When I saw that, I was like, wow, there is way more to this glass than just fermented grape juice. Like, there is so much that went into the process of, process of just to make this glass of wine. And I was completely blown away and fascinated and wanted to know more. So that's when uh, here in Southern California, where I am, I went to a school and they offered the, the WSET certification. So were you were you actually, um, or this was whilst you were playing? This is not. This is when you were actually playing football. This was on after you were playing. Like you sort of no. So, so so imagine this. I'm gonna show, I'm gonna show you two funny things. Imagine this. During my off season training, I get up and I would go and train uh, here while I was home, and then at, at, in the evenings I go and sit in a long wine class. <laughs> And then, and that's how, when I was awarded my Wine and Spirits Education Trust certification. And then we had our off-season training when I was with the Redskins. And right after practice in Virginia, I would drive about maybe 15 minutes to the wineries there. And I would put on my, you know, water boots, duck boots, and go and work in the vineyard. So I, I it's, it, was, it was such a, and it's, a, it's an obsession. It's a passion. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't just a hobby. It was something that I really was curious about. Is the end game, though, to own your own vineyard? Is, is that something you, you're sort of thinking along down the line? You know what? I, I have a, a lot of things in my mind. My initial, my initial decision was I wanted to do a wine label. That was the first thing I wanted to do. Just because a couple of my buddies in the industry, like you said, either you know, used a private label, put their own on, or some are actually in the vineyards getting their hands dirty. And that's initially what I wanted to do. But talking to all of colleagues and everybody I knew in the wine world, they said, you can find the best grapes, you can have the best vineyard, you can have the best winemaker, but at the end of the day, you have to be able to sell the wine. And if you can't sell it, then you're going to struggle. So I decided to go to a nearby uh, merchant, nearby wine shop, and sit and ask them if I can, I guess, intern, if you will, and learn how to sell wine, learn the retail side. And I started to do that. And then through that, just conversations, you know, they noticed that I had a pretty extensive network of guys calling me, asking me for ideas, like, you know, how to help, help them out, help them with wine. And eventually I was like, well, why not, why not I be the, the buyer for them? Why don't, why don't I just get the wine and give it to them myself? So that's how that came about. Yeah, it's interesting. Like we talked about the lingo of wine right off the bat, you know, and, you know, you sort of, not that you said anything particularly sort of outrageous or whatever, as far as wine lingo goes, but just that there is a wine lingo, right? And, but I, I feel that the, the world that's embracing wine right now on mass and you know you see sales just going through the, the roof it's a 300 billion dollar industry um the, the, the sort of education aspect of wine can be quite daunting yet there are wine manufacturers out there 
who are very much taking advantage of the fact that one doesn't need necessarily all the big words, all the fancy words, or you don't right. need to understand. It's like, does it taste good? Yeah. <laughs> you know? No, at, yeah, at the end of the day, and that's my approach. Yes, wine can be luxurious, but it can be that for everybody. And that's my, my approach in this whole industry is I want wine to be approachable. Like wine is, it's not that serious. It's fermented grape juice. You know what I mean? Like everyone can, can calm down. And, but I want it, I want everyone to learn. And as you mentioned earlier, that is my approach in the industry is to be an educator, to help people understand more about the wine. Like we talked about earlier about Chardonnay, the, oh, the, the vanilla, the buttery taste, you know, and I learned through this whole process, no, they don't put butter in the wine. There's a, there's a process called malolactic fermentation. And hence the word lactic, meaning dairy, that fermentation creates those kind of notes in the Chardonnay. And that right there is something that I like to share with people who don't know. It's fun, isn't it? It's very fun. So, you know, alcohol drinking, all of those sorts of things. It's, you know, it's, I, like I, Tom and I always talk about this, how we always describe our cocktails and what's in them. And then the story behind every single liquor and every sort of aspect. Yep. Every country has, a, has an alcohol and has a drink and has some sort of celebration around it. And obviously there's probably ne nothing more celebrated than wine because, you know, regular, dis you know, the sort of, if you like the whiskeys, the the gins, the vodkas, their history is nothing like the history of wine as far as longevity, as far as, you know, sort of biblical proportions, <laughs> you know, where we, we, you've got sort of Jesus Christ himself turning water <laughs> I mean, bro, wine. let's start there, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's served in the Last Supper. I mean, it's, yeah. it, it, it's everywhere. And, you know, and certainly there's literally thousands of years of history when it comes to wine. Yeah, and I think that is is extraordinary in itself, but makes it also very fascinating yet terrifying. You know, I was I was talking about the lingo, and just to sort of mention again, there's a company that I've um, bought wine from and have had wine from, and um, an Australia, no, New Zealand wine company called Invivo, and it's for example on the boxes, they they the actual you know boxes of twelve bottles of wine, it says on the side there's a warning label, and it says. <laughs> It says might might contain traces of bloody good wine. Oh, that's good. You See, know? that's what I mean. Can you sell the wine? <laughs> Brilliant, right? It's just no, absolutely. Great um, but they have they've been they, that's a wine company, for example, that has got on brought on people like Sarah Jessica Parker, and who's released a uh, Sauvignon Blanc. A Sauvignon Blanc, correct? Yep. And um, a, a guy called Graham Norton, who's a comedian in Europe, who has, a, I think he has a, a rosé and I think he has a red wine and he's done a gin with them. But, you know, they're not, celebrity wines aren't all, you know, created equal, are they? Correct, you know? yeah. What, what, what do you think makes a successful celebrity wine? Uh, I think what makes one successful is when you find out that the celebrity is actually working in the vineyard, is part of the vineyard. Um, you know, I had some teammates uh, on the Packers three offensive linemen, they all weighed like 320 pounds plus, right? They went to Sonoma in 2009 and literally ripped up all the roots and planted new vines. And, and they all got, and they all lived there and they're still in production. And the wine is called Three Fat Guys. Uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> very, very cool. But the fact that they're actually in the vineyard, same thing, uh, soon to be Hall of Famer, Charles Woodson is the guy who I uh, played with. And he's the one I found out first who was, actually in the business and him, him himself as well very closely connected and then drew bledsoe who's a famous new england patriot he's in washington the state of washington and in walla walla and he has his winery called double back which 
I mean, it is a, a beautiful estate and he actually lives there on the estate. So I think the, the closer and the more personal you see the celebrity with the wine, I feel like is, is the better. Is it any good, the three fat guys wine? The three fat guys is actually very, very good. They, what, they, is, uh, what are they producing? Uh, they have a, a really cool rosé. They actually have a Chablis, a Chardonnay with Chablis type of notes. Because in Sonoma Coast, there's a region where it's cooler, where they do produce old world Pinot Noirs and kind of old world Chardonnays. And then they also went and uh, spent the money in Napa and got some grapes to create a, a competitive Cabernet. Well, I know a little bit about American wine, but as you know, the English invented the word claret. But, you know, Bordeaux has been the big English thing for years. I'm, yes. By the way... I'm saying this from legitimately from Oxfordshire in England. So, you know, um, by the way, nice. Did you mention that? The fact that I'm in England, by the way. Right now we have England, New York and Los Angeles and, and California. We're doing all we're doing sort of three time zones right here, which is what you can do during a quarantine, people. You don't have to be face to face like we used to have to be. Yeah, but I, don't know, I don't know a lot about New World Wines. I do know that, that a lot of wines I've tried from 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 west coast of america have, have a strong alcohol content but obviously yeah. because of the sun because the ripeness of the grapes and, and you know i was drinking something earlier on this evening with my sister she bought a she bought a coat drone over and i was drinking it normally i associate coat drone with being something quite light you know and it's french coat drone you know sitting there drinking it and i said to her she said god it's delicious isn't it? i said yeah but it's incredibly strong i mean this you know this has got to be 14 percent, right right and she no, looked at the bottle and it was 14%. And I said, I associate this kind of wine with your American West Coast wines, right? But strong alcohol content, very strong, rich taste. Right. I guess because of the sun. But so my question, sorry, my question was Sonoma. You just mentioned Sonoma. Have you got the diversity of districts uh, out there where you actually have that cool breeze off the coast? So you can, you know, you can assimilate the kind of French growing conditions. You were saying they're doing a lot of old world wines in Sonoma. Yeah. So, yeah, Sonoma Coast, right. Go ahead. Can you just quickly explain the diversity of what you're producing out there? Well, so, so the, the benefit in certain areas in California, like there are slopes, there are hills where you can be closer, obviously elevation where it's cooler and also you get the breeze from the coast. So therefore, it's a, it's a cooler climate, which also produces, you know, higher acidity, higher acidity wines like it is in the old world, you know, the French regions or Germany or what have you. And so you can get more classic varietals that way. And then obviously the lower elevation, the more inland you get is where it is warmer, where you are going to get the higher alcohol, the riper grapes. So it's where you'll get the California. So that's kind of where it is. That's why you, if you go further up to like Oregon, they do fantastic Pinot Noirs and also more into Washington too. Actually, Seattle is very, very similar to Burgundy you know, with a lot of rain, a lot, a lot right. of cool weather and stuff like cool, that. Cooler, okay, yeah. virus. Exactly. Interesting. Well, you have to admit though, you know, us Americans, and I'm an American now, and Tom, by the way, despite his English accent, is a sort of American royalty, uh, you know, <laughs> Will. So don't, don't, don't um, let him, you know, fool you by any stretch. Um, but you know, we like our obvious wines. We you know we like a strong wine that sort of slightly slaps you around across the face. Right. You know, I mean, Will asked me what I liked, and I immediately said I like a good Spanish wine, in large part because I'm, you know, the, the Tempranillo grape and that sort of, and also the sort of Malbec type of grape is a quite a punch you in the face type of grape. You know, they, they, it is, yeah, delicious, fills your mouth, and it's like fireworks in a way. You know, versus but just, some of those French wines, which right. But just really quick, Tom. So. In Rovan, Rovan, specifically like Chateauneuf de Pop, 
like those are going to be higher alcohol. You're going to get, you can even go all the way up to 15% yeah, uh, yeah. in Southern Rome. So uh, that's just, that's basically their styles. And you, you might, I think shuts enough the proper rule is 13 grapes, I believe to create their blend. Right. So it's uh it's pretty gnarly out there. Yeah. I actually was living in England for two months in the fall. Right. Um I was working yeah. at I was at Sky Sports as a pundit, which was pretty cool. I got to know uh you and Vetners pretty well uh over at Fortner and Masons. And right. I got I got invited to his his autumn lunch, which was up in the uh at Fortner and Masons in the same yeah. room. I think Winston Churchill had his seventy second seventy second birthday, I believe. Right, great. Come on, fun. Uh, were you pundit? Were you being a pundit for American football on Sky Sports? Yes, I was. Yep. The thing is, American football here is weirdly big. It's a bit like <laughs> it's a bit like line dancing. You know, we <laughs> just like line dancing. <laughs> Five million people apparently, by all accounts, do line dancing at the weekends in the UK. That's a weird statistic. Did you have a big audience when you were being a pundit? I mean, were you doing live yeah, games? Yeah, every, every game was sold out. Every single game was sold out. Amazing. Well, even when they built the new Spurs uh, stadium, they built a section specifically for American football only, like locker right. rooms, everything. And also, too, they, they have a, a, a system where they roll out the pitch and bring right. in the football field and then roll the football field and bring out the pitch. It's, it's unbelievable. Incredible. As far as like wine and, and football, are people drinking wine at football? I mean, obviously you think of football, you think of beer half the time. You don't really think of Right, of wine. course. But, but is wine, I mean, really emerging in the, in the sort of football scene? Listen, sports, being a professional athlete is stressful. We need alcohol. You know, <laughs> it's interesting. When, when I was drafted, I went to the Green Bay Packers first in Wisconsin, uh, Midwest beer country. And as a 21-year-old, what do you call it, lad or chap? What would you say, Tom? <laughs> a lad. A lad. Definitely a lad. A lad. <laughs> a 21-year-old lad. And yes, I was... He has some arthritis chaps, which are completely different. <laughs> so my drink of choice was Guinness. 21 years old, and I enjoyed Guinness. And I think I just evolved into, into wine. I just had an acquired taste. But yeah, a wine is definitely becoming, you know, for, for most, just an acquired uh, taste for people. But more so, I believe, in the NBA. Those guys are just rocking it in terms of their collections and, and where they've gone and, and what they have done. So I think that was, that's a big deal with, with them. And I think it started with Carmelo Anthony because when he was on the Denver Nuggets, um, Stan Kroenke, who owns the Rams, I believe owns the Nuggets as well. And I think he kind of, showed Carmelo a little bit of the wine world and Stan Kroenke he owns Honada and he also owns Screaming Eagle that wine as well and Yao Ming has his own vineyard as well no yeah Yao Ming has his own Dwayne Wade has his own so having accomplished what you've done with the football and all of that what is your dream job that was my dream job going forward <laughs> going forward uh, right now, I, I just, I want to build this business, the, the wine MVP, you know, I, I really want to do that in the wine world. I want to be uh, a top educator in wine, a top person people go to for buying and just really build this, the wine MVP brand. That is definitely my dream. So sure. what is the wine MVP? Tell us about wine MVP. Exactly. Yeah. So, so the wine MVP has, has a couple of sides to it. So the main side is a, it's a monthly subscription club. Uh, basically I go through hundreds of wines and I select two wines myself that I will pick for the consumer. And so you purchase the, the box, which is $79.98 shipping included. You get two bottles every month. And then I have really two 
have two uh, cards in there, so they look like trading cards. And they have the bottle, and then on the other side, how they will have statistics. They have my tasty notes, the region, what they would pair well with. And so this whole thing is not just to give you a bottle of wine and hey, get, pay me money, give you wine. Um, you're paying not just for the bottle, but you're getting me as an educator for, for the whole brand. And then the other side is I do private uh, private wine buying, private concierge for uh, a bunch of you know pro athletes and, and celebrities out there. And, and part of that too is I have access to pretty much any wine in, in the world. I, um, once this pandemic comes down, we're going to take trips to Bordeaux. We got invites to uh, Louis Latour in Burgundy. We got an invite to Lynchbage in Bordeaux. Um, and then a couple of places in Argentina. So that'll be part of it too. Just a full-fledged, just overall concierge, tasting events, dinners, what have you. I just want to be a host and educate. And that's, that's the wine MVP. Do you have a favorite place you've visited so far? A favorite vineyard, a favorite area? Um, I, I don't have one yet because I have not gone to many places as of yet. I think I, I literally just finished. And, and during the off season, we, we didn't uh, go anywhere as much. But... Um, I did. I did enjoy um, Napa just because when I was new, uh, understanding wine and I really got to know labels and what have you. I got to see the history of American wine, you know, in California. So I really enjoy that. So you're a sommelier, right? So you, you and you're what is described, if, if I'm correct, you're a level two sommelier. Is that correct? So for the through the Wine and Spirits Education Trust, which is actually a London-based company, I'm level two with them. In the court of masters, I'm level one. There's actually four levels. So level four is master sommelier. And that exam is the one that's a 6% success rate. Um, so I'm level one right now studying for level two. And then who knows, I might, you know, maybe that's the end game, become a master sommelier. I'm just taking it one day at a time. So that's what I was yeah. getting to, actually. Yes. That, that's the end game. <laughs> to become the master. I mean, come on, you're not a guy who loses. You win, you know championships and what have you I mean no yeah no I, I'm, I'm I'm going to interrupt you right now because well you just said one day at a time when you're referring to your 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 rise in the ranks the sommelier was not the Alcoholics Anonymous well alcohol is involved <laughs> <laughs> but you just reinvented one day at a time it's like uh, on your, I'm a master sommelier okay one one region at a time how about no, that I think one day at a, let's leave it at one day at a time <laughs> Oh my gosh. Talking about traveling and wine, I got to go to Georgia last year and I spent some time there, a couple of three weeks working on a, a TV show that I was out there. And for I, the listeners, not Georgia in the States. No, no, no. We're talking 8,000 years ago, Tbilisi, you know, yes. Syria on one side and Armenia on another. And, you know, literally the, the, the sort of the, the cradle of where wine was created. Mm -hmm. And I got to say, and, I, and I, I feel bad, but I'm going to be bloody honest. The wine was not that good, in my opinion, in my humble, uneducated yeah. opinion. I'll tell you, it, I mean, and they love it. But, you know, you grow up with French wine in England. And of course, you grow up with, you know, all the European wines. You come to America, it's a big deal. The way they drink their wine there, first of all, they drink their wine very fast and a lot of it um, <laughs> in a shot glass. And they'll, and they'll go and buy liters of wine at a time, right? You know, it, it's very, very strong. It, it's, it doesn't have, in my mind, it didn't have the nuances of it. Apparently you can't get a hangover. Now I tried to get one. 
I tried to get a hangover. It didn't. I didn't get one. So maybe they're right. They don't use. Was it was it was it Welch's grape juice? Do you know much about Georgian wine? Have you done any research into the sort of history of? I wine? have not done full extensive research on Georgia wine at all, but I I am very familiar that, yes, uh, way way back in the thousands of BCs is where, and I think Armenia specifically is where is the birthplace of where wine was originated. And, but I can agree now there, I agree now there are some there, I've been, came across some wines where I just wasn't fond of the taste. However, I did appreciate because of the history and that's, and taking all these exams is where I learned to appreciate the history of what's okay, going so you on. You talk about history a lot, right? And I get it, you like stories. And now somehow the story of wine has got you addicted to wine, but you can't exactly drink a story. Can you, or can you? You can. Well, okay, well, how? I mean, I'm drinking this wine. I like it regardless of the story. I just taste good. Then that's fine. I, I There are some wines where, so for example, Custom Crush, where you don't have a vineyard. You just hire somebody else to make your wine. You hire somebody to create the label and you don't even touch it. Everyone does everything for you. You promote it. It's your business. You never see it. And that's just boom, boom, quick and easy. And there are some wines that are made like that that are delicious. They have no story. There's also COVID-19, where one of the first symptoms is you lose your sense of taste and smell knife. Cut it out, sir. Cut it out. (laughs) (laughs) You might have had COVID-19 for the last 25 years. You wouldn't know. Potentially. Maybe that's what it is. That's what the problem is. Maybe that's why I didn't dig the Georgian wine. It was very curious, though, that when I was over, they, they, they actually put their wine and they ferment it in these sort of clay pots that they just place in the earth. In the ground you know and it's it's a very different process than what i had read or learned and again i'm no expert in wine i've just enjoy have enjoyed wine all my life and so i've picked up what i've picked up from my familiarity of drinking you know so you know and, and speaking to sommeliers and what have you at restaurants and i'm trying to get a sense of it um but this was wine like i hadn't tasted before i guess it was a very raw form of the it's a sort of the original type of wine and you know when you hear each country each place, each region, and how people reinvent wine. And it's, it's one of the few things that we took with us, right? No matter where we went in the world and conquered the world, whatever, we took wine, you know, and we kind of remade it everywhere. You know, the, so the stories that you talk about, Will, are just sort of, uh, they're a part of human history, almost. Right. Did you drink any, like, bugs? Were any bugs floating in there or um, part- seeds or pits or particles? <laughs> English garden type of situation where we have a little bit of added protein with the wine. You know, what's your protein? I'm, I'm having a little fly in my wine, actually. <laughs> you, you mentioned uh, sort of AI, in a way, artificial intelligence, a little bit as far as like these designer wines and not having to have a story and what have you. But there is this sort of, you know, thing happening in sort of booze news, if you like, where artificial intelligence programs are being developed uh, we're seeing one, there's one that just launched in the gin world where they've developed a program called Jeanette that essentially um, learns all the botanicals that you could potentially put in a gin. It understands the flavor profiles and it's able to mix kind of gins to how you would like a gin. You would just, like I described to you the kind of wine that I liked. Right. You know, imagine a sort of an AI program that's, that's sort of fi- figuring out how to blend a wine perfectly because it understands you know what's happening in the weather what's happening with the smells the spices the, the undertones the tones so it can put together the sort of perfect blend you know what are you seeing in that world do you believe that's going to happen or do you still think the human touch is where it's at you know what's interesting is especially um 
in, in the history of California, the human touch was the foundation, was the main thing. And then eventually UC Davis uh, started putting together programs of finding ways to really learn about the science and the technical things and really go based off of science, not so much of what the winemaker's thinking. And that's kind of how it evolved from uh, the, you know, the old schools uh, wines to, you know, now the big expensive flavorful bold cabs, you know, where it made that change. And even, you know, especially now a lot of people who, who can afford it, they are using science and technology. You know, there are some vineyards where the device will tell them stop watering the grapes, you know, because, you don't want too much and based off of that device or machine technology they listen to that in order to get the perfect balance of what they want so i believe science and technology has already uh taken shape and taken form especially in american bitter culture well that's part of the new world i guess right tom you either embrace it or, or you or you sort of have to just you know deal with the fact that someone else is going to make it quicker better cheaper faster you know something that's always that quite it's the thing about ai and human taste and really can computers do things better than humans well let me ask you a question by the way this is not a trick question it's straight up and any answer will do in your view is there a perfect wine it depends on you there we go then a computer can never do that yeah i'm perfect what's my wine you're drinking it now I'm not sure this is my perfect wine, but I do. There are wines that are that I do love. I mean, it's sort of it's funny how that you do find a wine and then you're like, okay, quickly to write down the label, quickly to make sure that you can go and buy as much of it as possible. Yeah, and then I forget. Right, or you can't buy enough. You drop a whole bottle. By the time you put the thing in the recycling and it's gone, you're kind of pleased to see the back of it. <laughs> well, that's in my case. Sorry, <laughs> I go back down to the cellar. I'm like, I swear I've seen you before somewhere, and I yes. don't know if it was bad i can't remember the night night before or the morning hour one day at a time tom i love it i love (laughs) can you answer another question do you have a cellar are you building a cellar or and if you're not would you like to build a cellar great question so part of the the wine mvp concierge side i'm actually building other people's cellars right now um i just i had the pleasure of of i did um one of the famous player here reggie bush uh he i did his cellar he's in los angeles and right now, I do not have a cellar. I have a, a wine fridge with wines to drink now. <laughs> right. I'm not collecting anything I'm drinking now. But we have scoped out, uh, scouted out a, lo- a location here in, in our office, uh, my wife and I, where I'm going to build a cellar. Yes, I will start doing that. Because now people are sending me wines. Do you, are you a wine taster or are you a wine, uh, are you a wine drinker? It depends where I am. Am I, right. am, I, am I outside at the pool with the kids and the wife? I'm a wine drinker. I enjoy, I enjoy. So if I open a bottle, I first am a wine taster when I open the bottle. And then when I go and get my next glass, whether it's that day or the next day, I'm a wine drinker. So the first glass is the wine taster. I evaluate. Right. The, and then after that, no more evaluation. For our listeners, what is, what is, for those of them who are not familiar with what exactly you mean, right? Yeah. Everyone else is like, what, what do you mean wine taster and I'm a wine drinker? Of course he's a bloody wine taster. Anyone who drinks a wine is tasting the damn thing. <laughs> the, be, the better term would be wine evaluator. That's what, what it would be. What are you doing exactly? You're, you're spitting it out. Right? This is the famous spitting it out. Bit. Yes. When, when, I, when I'm evaluating wine and trying to understand like what it was made or what it was done, you have, you have sight. You have the nose, you have the palate, um, and then the different areas of palate. So, for, exa- for example, when you have the sight, you want to know, like right now I have a glass. I'm looking at it right now. You know, I'm looking at the clarity. 
you know, it's clear. I'm looking at the concentration. I'm looking at the color. Are there any secondary colors? Rim variation. Is there any tearing? You know, any evidence of gas, which would be like little tiny bubbles, obviously, and this is still wine, not here. Then once I smell it on the nose, you know, is it clean or is it faulted? If it's faulted, meaning it could be corked where I can smell like wet cardboard or maybe nail polish or even vinegar is where it's off, you know, and then the intensity is it like smacked in my face. Is it delicate? Is it powerful? Um, and also too, I can tell, you know, the age varietal in terms of, is it a youthful wine? Is it developing youthful? You'll get more like tart, tart smells, um, real fruity, more developing. You'll get more, I think, whatever, some of the aging and oaky stuff like that in the notes. And then, then you get fruit characters. Like there, I mean, there is such a long grid and that's before you even take a sip. Right. And then eventually when you take the sip, the level of sweetness, you know, is it dry, meaning no residual sugar, off dry, medium or sweet. And then you go into more fruit characters. Uh, right now I have the Syrah. So obviously some kind of black fruits like blackberries and what have you, and maybe blueberries and, and strawberries. And then when you take a sip, then you talk about the structure, right? When you get that dry uh, feeling in your mouth, like it's pulling your gums, that's the tanning, especially in red wines. Pucker. Well, that too, puckered, exactly. And then how, people always ask, well, how do you know how much acidity is in the wine? Well, if you take a sip, swish it around and either spit out or swallow the wine and you just hold your mouth open a little bit and if it starts to like water like crazy, that's a high acidic, high acid wine. So, um, and then you keep going all the way down, complexity, finish, bodies, a full body, medium body, light body. But do you know, you know something? Do you know something? This, the, these descriptions to wine, imagine if we had the ability to be able to apply this to our relationships and our other halves. You do have the ability to do that. I thought that's what he was doing. All your descriptions just now, I was applying, as you were saying, as you were describing them. Honey, you, honey you're, you're being too tannic right now. You're being too tannic. It's, it's just you're too tannic. You're just too fruity for me. This is too much. It's coming up too strong. The nose is too strong. You got to back uh, off. Now, now she has a full body, I tell you. I tell you that much. Can you imagine, <laughs> seriously, try and apply everything you just said about wine to your woman. I promise you, it might yeah, work. Yeah, well balanced. Just do not describe her as cool. <laughs> I thought Will was leaving at that point. He was like, okay, I'm done here. I've had enough, thank you. Brilliant. So to your point, yes, I evaluate the first glass and after that, it's casual drinking. I don't, it's almost like too, when I watch sports, you know, when I watch American football, they always ask, do you watch it? And are you able to sit back and enjoy the game? Or are you watching it and being very analytical and, and, and critiquing everything? And I was like, I'm able to sit back and enjoy the game. I can, I appreciate the certain, tactics and skills that happens but i sit back and watch as a fan i'm not like i don't need to see every single play i'm not glued to the tv I exactly you're describing exactly you're describing a relationship once again as again you've just done it in america <laughs> <laughs> you know i can just sit back and relax and enjoy it you know but i'm not analytical i don't just like kind of watch every play i mean it's great this is fantastic. some people do some people do you know <laughs> some people do yeah. i know but we're getting to the bottom of what you uh, <laughs> <laughs> you're in a psyche Right. Listen, yeah. Tom, Tom, Yeah. one day at a time, man. I'm trying to tell you I'm that. <laughs> at this stage, one hour at a time, one minute at a time. I love this. I love this. Look, Will, you are, you know, something amazing about you. You, What you've done, how you, you're very, very humble, I think, is what's interesting. It's sort of, you're a Super Bowl champion, for God's sakes. You play for some amazing teams. You hang out with some pretty cool people. 
you know, you've, you've mentioned one or two of them just on the podcast today on Shaken and Stirred, and yeah, they're no, these, none of these are, are, are lightweights. Um, yet you, you are really very curious about knowledge, and I think that is the most powerful thing, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's the quest for knowledge and, and the understanding of something that is centuries, if not millennia old, the wine industry, the wine business. Um, what a pleasure, mate, to have you on Shaken and Stirred. We really appreciate it. Look, bef before we wrap up, we, we do something which is called Last Orders um, oh on, on Shaken and Stirred, which is a sort of a take you by surprise. Hold on, I need, a, I need a sip of water this time. Yeah. How about that? You know? <laughs> it is water for this one. Uh, rapid fire questions. Are you up for it? Of course. Pretty simple stuff here. I think you can handle it. Um, all right, here we I go. Ple I plead the fifth. What is the fifth? Which one's that? Gums. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm English. <laughs> Sorry. Okay, here we go. Champagne or martini? Champagne. Which one comes first? Football or wine? Football. Ooh. <laughs> Napa Valley or the Rhone? Napa. Now, would you describe yourself as shaken or stirred? I'm stirred. I'm never shaken. Nothing bothers me. There you go. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a mix of things. I'm stirred, buddy. Fantastic. Super Bowl champion turned NFL wine guy, Will Blackman. Thank you very much for coming on Shaken and Stirred. You've given us a wealth of knowledge and it's a pleasure to know you. A really, really charming guy. No, I appreciate it. Go and check out the Wine MVP and get one of these fantastic packages with your tasting notes. How brilliant is that? Congratulations and we'll look out for it. And please come back on Shaken and Stirred. If you invite me, I'll be here. Wonderful. <laughs> very nice to meet you, Will. Good to you, Tom. Thank you, buddy. By the way, when you're if you're ever in England next, will you come come and have a look at my cellar? It's kind of very it's a modest cellar, but I'd love you to come and come and pick a bottle out, drink anything you want from it, and 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 also advise me on new world wines because I don't know anything about it, but I'd like to learn more. I, I really appreciate that. No, thank you, man. Fantastic. All the best, guys. Take care.